It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. What's up, Reds fans, and welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. On today's show, we're going to talk about a couple of different articles that I read. Just kind of want to point out a couple of things that I noticed, some encouraging things, and some uh, interesting, kind of funny things. The one was an article on fan graphs that kind of took a overview, a high-level overview of the Reds' 2019 season, and also did a quick look ahead to 2020, and then also the other one I want to talk about is an interview that C. Trent had with David Bell. But before we get to all of that, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, the Himalaya podcasting app, all of that wonderful stuff. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnReds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone. Going to get to a couple of those questions tonight for calls or texts, whatever you got. 513-549-0159. So as I mentioned, there, there was a couple of articles that I noticed. And the first one that I wanted to talk about was the article on Fangraphs.com. And, and the title of it, you know, they're, they're talking about the Reds. It says, Reds seek another chance to turn Win Ledger black in 2020 because obviously they've been stuck in the red for the while for a while but um it's interesting because they look back on the season that was the moves that they made leading into the season all the trades and things like that getting Sonny Gray getting Tanner Rourke the trade with the Dodgers all that stuff and how even though it created a lot of buzz And to some people, it had created this bubble where in which the Reds could maybe make a playoff run. (laughs) Yeah, I I was part of those some people. But, you know, did that sort of stuff. And then they talked about how Fangraph still projected them. The Zips projection system still had them projected at 80 wins. And while they didn't quite reach 80 wins, they still had a marked improvement from 2018. But the interesting thing that I noticed, and and they're talking about looking ahead to next season, and this is word for word. From the Fangraphs article, it says, Based on current rosters and assumptions, Zips projects the Reds to be in the 82 to 85 win territory. And now that's really just talking about what they've got in-house. I don't think that they are automatically assuming they're going to sign one of the top flight free agents, even though this article does mention that the Reds will be in contention to bring in one of those top flight free agents, or as it said, multiple second tier free agents. But even before that happens, Zips has them as an 82 to 85 win team. So yes, there's a really good chance they're going to be in the black next year. 
That's not playoff win territory, though. I think that will be greatly influenced by some of the moves that are made by the Reds. But, you know, it, it was encouraging because they mentioned, they're like, look, uh, when you look at the Reds' rebuild, it was weird to see that they got a Eugenio Suarez for Alfredo Simon, just a home run of a deal, and then you turn around and you trade Todd Frazier and you trade Aroldis Chapman, and you get nothing of consequence. So it was easy to be critical of how the Reds had rebuilt. And they were forced, their hand was forced to make trades that made them better in the current and the now. But they did a good job. And this is something that we talked about much over the season. They did a good job of, in those, you know, quote-unquote win-now trades, they got guys who were one-year deals. Guys who weren't going to be here longer than they needed to be. Because in some cases, like Tanner Rourke and like Alex Wood, especially Matt Kemp, heck, he didn't even last the one year. But those guys were never going to stick around. And as much as we love Yasiel Puig, they, they used a kind of a, a descriptor of Puig that, honestly, I mean, it kind of gives you a pause, but spot the lie, said that Yasiel Puig was more sizzle than steak. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I loved him. He was fun to root for. He was fun to watch. Great personality. Great in the city of Cincinnati and among the community. What do you do on the field? That's what we're focused on in 2020. We're not, we're, we want the steak. It'd be nice if the sizzle comes with it, but we want the meat. We want the performance on the field. And while it would be a headline grab if the Reds went out and brought Yasiel Puig back, I don't think that should be plan A. Heck, that might not even be plan B, at least in a perfect world. We're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. also want to take a look at the interview that C. Trent had with David Bell, kind of going over his first season as a manager. But first... C. Trent Rosecrans had a great interview with David Bell. He was recapping Bell's first season at the helm of a team because Bell has been on a managerial staff before. He's been a bench coach. He's been part of the player development. Heck, he's been a AAA manager, but he's never been a major league manager. And with this being his first season, he talked about lessons learned. He talked a lot about the off-field stuff, which is, is really interesting stuff. And if you're a subscriber of The Athletic, in fact, if you're not, I, I don't know what you're doing because The Athletic is awesome, great content. You won't find a better team of writers that cover Cincinnati sports. I mean, you've got – yeah, anyway, I won't get into all that, but it's awesome. Sea Tramp does a fantastic job in-season, out-of-season just love his work. But the interview that he had with David Bell focused a lot of off-the-field stuff, but there were some on-field stuff that was interesting to note. Like, the first thing that's, that jumps out at you when you read the interview is actually one of the last things that you read. Down toward the end of the interview, he's talking about the ejections. He's talking about David Bell getting ejected 
so much last season and what Bell took away from all of that. And he actually asked them, he asked them about kind of the semantics of it. And Bell mentioned, you know, it's never out of disdain for an umpire. He says that he respects what the umpires do. And, you know, I mean, I think it's easy to say that when you're sitting in a coffee shop and he didn't just call strike three that was over there in the on-deck circle. But at the same time, I understand that it's not as if he's coming out with just vitriol in his heart for the umpire behind the plate. But at the end of the day, he said that it wasn't about that. It was, you know, he was concerned for his players, whether it be safety or their health or something of that nature. But he mentioned, and this is what jumped out at me, he mentioned that on the fight with the Pirates on July 30th, he actually messed up his knee. And he said that it's really just now getting right. But he said that during that fight, he kind of messed it up and he woke up the next day and it was not right. And I guess for pretty much up from July 30th almost to now, it's been a problem for him. He said it's really just now getting better. But that just kind of, I mean, it just made me laugh because we all have that image of him sprinting out of the dugout toward Clint Hurdle like he was just going to unleash a flurry of blows on the now former Pirates manager. But it's funny to think of, you know, he kind of got hurt whenever he did that. So... That's one of those things that maybe it's going to stick with him. Maybe he's going to think about that next season. We may not see such a fiery David Bell, or who knows, maybe he just was reaffirmed in what it was that he was doing in each of those different instances of ejections, and he's just going to keep it up, and it doesn't bother him. I don't know. We'll have to see. But he also mentioned some of the philosophies that he had. Like C-Trent specifically pointed out the defensive shifts where there were four outfielders early on. You may have forgotten about it because they got away from it. As the season wore on, they really stopped that whole defensive alignment where they would send Dietrich out into left field, or maybe they move Peraz out into left field, and they kind of shift all the outfielders over, and then they have a four outfield set, almost like when you're playing Little League and you've got four kids out in the outfield. That's kind of the way that they played it early on, but they got away from it. And he asked him about that, and David Bell kind of gave an overarching answer that almost took care of any questions he had. Like, there were a lot of complaints and a lot of people wondering why he was managing his bullpen as if it was Game 7 of the World Series in April. And now some of that kind of continued. You, you, you could tell there were some games that he was managing with a lot of intensity where he took a starter out maybe a little earlier than we thought he would. But for the most part, he started to get away from that. I think he realized that those were things that Maybe he thought they were good strategies coming into the season, and as he played them out, he realized they weren't that great a strategy. And it's just different things like that, you know, whether it be analytics told him something or whether it be experience told him different things. I do think there is a marriage between the two. It's not as if he's just sitting, as some folks like to say, sitting in front of an iPad, just managing from the iPad. I don't think it's that at all. I mean, David Bell played the game, and... Well, he played at a time whenever analytics didn't exist. So I'm not sitting here telling you that David Bell is all analytics all the time. I think he's got a good marriage of the two in his mind, and he knows how to balance the two. 
And I think we're going to see even more of that. Now, one of the things that he said that was a little troubling, but I think it's his duty to say it. Now, if you're a manager and someone asks you what you think of your team and you come out and say, well, yeah, we could get better in some areas, we could add different pieces, then I don't know that you're a manager that has the trust of his players. David Bell, it has been said by many players who have played with him, has the absolute, complete trust of that locker room. The clubhouse is completely with David Bell. And the reason for that is he's completely with them. And in his interview with C. Trent, he talks about he believes that they're close. He believes that the results that happen this season do not accurately reflect the talent on the team. I hear you. I understand it. I know why he said it. I disagree with him. I think that they got to make moves. You, you can't go into next season with the same roster and expect this to be a playoff team. They're not. And they need to make a couple of moves. But if I'm David Bell, I'm not coming out and I'm telling C. Trent, yeah, yeah, buddy, man, I'm telling you what, we need a second baseman, we need a center fielder, we need a shortstop, we need a catcher. No, because if you do that, you also alienate the other guys that you didn't talk about. Because now you're creating divisions in the locker room and just, no. So David Bell's not going to say that. That doesn't mean that he's right. And I, I, I'm, I, I'm fully behind the idea of him being behind his players. I just don't agree with what he said. I, I think the Reds do need to make some moves. And with that, we're going to jump into the Locked On Reds line text messages. I believe they're all text messages tonight. The first question, and this person did not provide me their name, but I do want to thank you for sending me this question. They asked, who will be the Reds' biggest offseason addition? Now, this is one thing that I've been turning over in my mind, and I think I change on it quite a bit. I don't think they're going to get Anthony Rendon. I agree with James. If, if you didn't catch any of the interview that I had with James Rapine over the last couple of episodes, definitely go check them out. But we talked about... The Reds and going after marquee guys, going after the big splash moves, but also being smart with it. And I don't know that the Reds have the ability to overpay for Anthony Rendon, who is about to be 30 next season. Because the thing with Rendon is you're probably going to have to sign him, not just for the money, but for the years. I don't see Rendon taking a short deal. And by short, I mean like four years. I think Rendon's going to try his darndest to get like a seven or eight year deal because I don't know how many more years of free agency he thinks he has left. So I think he's going to go for that long-term deal, and I don't want the Reds to do that. I want there to be like a four to five year deal or maybe even less than that. Well, we'll see how that all plays out, but I don't think it'll be him. I think the biggest move and the text message does say the biggest offseason addition so it doesn't have to be a free agent i think that there's some rumor there, there there's some there's some weight behind these rumors with mookie bets now hear me out the red sox are not looking to dismantle their team and rebuild that being said they just hired a new chief baseball officer they named him their CBO, CBO, in Kame Bloom. I think it's. I think that's how you pronounce it. I think it's Kame Bloom, guy that was running operations for the Rays. 
Now, he was successful with the Rays, a very frugal team. They had to be frugal because they're in a small market. They're not a huge team as far as financials are concerned and all that different stuff. So he had to be savvy with his money. I think he sees the ability to trade Mookie Betts and kind of retool with one guy. And I think he will do that. And I think the Reds will be the one that takes advantage of that deal. Now, I'm not going to say that they're going to outright win the deal and get him for nothing. I believe they'll probably be trading a couple of top prospects, maybe Jesse Winker, to acquire Mookie Betts. But I think the Reds will get Mookie Betts. Now, maybe... I'm on something. I don't know. Maybe maybe there was something in my drink tonight. Who knows? But I'm thinking that will be their biggest offseason addition. The next question comes from recurring caller and now texter, Jimmy Feltner. He asked, who would you rather take a karate chop from, Derek Dietrich or Michael Lorenzen? And then he says, go Reds. Yes, go Reds indeed. And who would I – well, if I got to choose – I think I'm going to choose Derek Dietrich because I think he'll have some kind of costume on whenever he does it. I think he's going to dress up. It's going to be kind of cool. So I'll be laughing right before he karate chops my lights out and then I probably get knocked out for a while. But at least right before it happens, I'm going to see something funny. Now with Michael Lorenzen doing it, I might die. He might kill me with that karate chap. Derek Dietrich, he'll probably do some damage, but I don't think he'll kill me. And he'll also be wearing like a beekeeper costume or heck, maybe he'll dress up in full ninja gear and that'll just be awesome. So I'm choosing Derek Dietrich on that one. And then the last question, a question that is near and dear to my heart. And I'm, I'm sorry because this person does not leave their name. I'll shout you out. Let me know what your name is after you listen to this. But the question is simply, favorite beer? Question mark. Now, this is a multifaceted question. Because there are a lot of different types of beers. There are a lot of different types of situations in which you're having beers. If you're eating food with that beer, if you're just enjoying the beer by itself, are you on a patio? Are you inside by a fire? I don't know. Generally, when it comes to all situations, I can just about at any point just, this is just me because and, and and I preface this by saying I understand that when it comes to drinks, when it comes to food, it is all highly subjective. Your tastes are not my tastes, and my tastes are not you know your tastes and, and you know say that every which way you want to, but there's no two taste buds that are alike. That being said, Guinness is my favorite beer because it works in all situations for me. I love Guinness. Huge, huge Guinness fan. Especially love the cans. You know, you get the cans that have the little uh, the little plastic balls of nitrous inside the can. Those are awesome. And then you just turn it upside down to pour it into the glass. Awesome ones. Now, I tell you, a, a beer that I really like, and I tried it when I went to an Angels game this past year, is, um, is called Mango Cart made by a brewing company called Golden Road. And uh, maybe you've heard of it, and I'm just saying that as if I know nothing at all. But I do like this beer a lot, and I actually found some. We were on the road the other day coming back from Kentucky, and we stopped at a place and found some, and so I nabbed it up to take it home. But absolutely phenomenal beer. It's it's a lot different, though. It's It's kind of a fruity beer. Now, it's not... 
you know, super sweet or anything like that. I don't go for sweet beers. I think it's got the right mixture of the kind of fruit flavor and then the beer flavor as well. But that's just me. I love I love the Golden Road stuff. There's also uh, Melon Cart and Pineapple Cart. I've tried them all. Love them all. Just fantastic beers. But uh, Guinness, and I'm going to stop it right there because I could about name about five other beers. And I just might as well start my own beer podcast at that point. So anyway, thanks so much for the questions, guys. Keep them coming. 513-549-0159. Like I mentioned questions of any kind if they're reds related if you want to know what my favorite flavor of ice cream is which that changes to anyway we won't get into all that whatever 513-549-0159 coming later this week i've got an awesome interview coming i'm very excited about this sam liqueur will be joining me on the podcast later this week so definitely make sure that you are subscribed that way you get each and every episode in your podcasting queue and you're ready for it sam liqueur will be joining the show later this week got a lot to talk about with him thank you so much for listening to today's podcast like i said make sure you're subscribed also check us out on twitter at locked on reds and at jeff carr with three f's and save that locked on reds line number into your phone hits up with questions comments Whatever you've got, 513-549-0159. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Locked On Reds Podcast. My name is Jeff Carr, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 